Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And today we are doing something a little different, though I guess you could say it kind of relates to our old uh, Ghost Hunting 101 series that we did uh, quite a while back now, a couple of years. Uh, So this kind of little spinoff, but nonetheless, I think very important. Justin brought it up uh, earlier this week, and it was something that neither of us really spoke too much about, uh, I guess, deeply about, you know, uh, nothing in depth. So we figured, why not? Let's talk a little bit about debunking evidence or debunking paranormal activity. Uh, And at first, you know, when it was brought up, I was like, well, how much can we really talk about debunking. Can we get a full hour out of this show? Of course, that was Justin's question as well. So not only are we going to discuss debunking evidence today uh, or paranormal activity, but we're also going to tell you how to go about debunking that activity. Uh, There are various methods to doing it. It's not always just simple and straightforward. You know, it's not always as clear as you might think it is. Every once in a while, you got to be a little more scientific and you know, maybe have the right gear as well. We'll go over some of that detail uh, as well during the show. But before we go ahead and get into that, Justin, I know we skipped last week, unfortunately. Uh, That was a bummer. We did have, we were going to have a guest on. Uh, But unfortunately, due to events and of course, COVID-related stuff, uh, we just had no choice but to cancel. It's unfortunate, but it happens here and there. Yeah. Yep. So um, I got my first COVID shot and had a bad reaction, and which is weird because I've caught COVID. And after talking to my wife, found out that apparently people that have caught it are having worse reactions than the people that haven't caught it. So I'm uh, I'm glad that that's that part's over. Uh, hopefully, the second shot doesn't knock me out of commission as well. But um, Part of the reason I wanted to to do this debunking thing was, Eric, I don't know if you saw the article about uh, the government uh, posting something about a UFO that, that was seen. It was a it was like a rectangular or a, I'm sorry, a triangular shaped UFO. Um, I can't remember where it was, but a couple different people had shared it and, and talked about it. Uh, even some famous people, actors, actresses. And um, so I I thought it was kind of important to do this because even, say, the the government's telling the the truth, the 100% truth, they they saw a UFO, which 
some people would say, you know, that they're they're just creating these these uh, events, and, and some people say, well, no, they, you know, they came out with a document saying that they would declassify the stuff. But when when you see these different UFO sightings and stuff like that, and any type of paranormal activity as a whole as well. Um, I sent you a link uh, through text. I think it was last week. Now, I, for the life of me, I can't even remember what it was about. That's how much it didn't affect me. But um, I thought it was it, It's just interesting that in this day and age, and we have talked about debunking in the past, but that people are posting more and more of these these videos that are quote unexplainable uh but the biggest question to my mind is because we have such uh so so many avenues that we can have access to now can we truly debunk something or are we going to be debunking it too much and say none of this stuff is real the stuff that's being posted rather um so I, I guess, in your mind, uh, the question I pose was, why is debunking important? So it what what are some of your thoughts on that as far as why it's very important, especially fr- coming from a paranormal investigator perspective, but even just your your personal thoughts too? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing is, uh, it's important because you don't want to be chasing false evidence. Uh, there's so many cases in which even the most experienced paranormal investigators get ahead of themselves and they point out evidence that they believe to be paranormal uh, only to find out later that they were mistaken, uh, which can be very embarrassing for you if you're presenting that type of uh, evidence to a client or even online or somebody, you know, like how many times have we seen people post evidence online and someone, uh, even you or myself will point back like, Hey, did you notice such and such? And proving of course that that evidence is not even paranormal. It's actually uh, very well debunked. Uh, So yeah, that's the first thing, you know, you protect yourself from, from the embarrassment. Uh, But also when you, just jump to conclusions or believe that everything is paranormal uh, and you're not taking the time to debunk uh, some of this evidence that you're gathering, it kind of takes you away from the overall story of whatever the haunting might be or whatever might be happening there. Uh, An example for like that, an example of that, uh, we we actually had a, a guy on our, our paranormal team a while back. And we've talked about this in the past where mm-hmm. he would take photos. He had a, a camera that was, uh, what do you call it? Like, like customized or whatever, where basically when you take a picture, it allows you to... Uh, he had messed with the settings or something like that. Yeah. It, it wasn't so even like, something that he had professionally done with another team or anything. He just messed with settings, I think is what it was. Okay. So the, the thing is that every time he took a, a photo, you would see light streaks in it. And these light streaks always came from a light source. And then he would go and present this evidence to the client before even consulting Justin or myself, who were the leaders of the team. Uh, this was during the investigation, not 
after the investigation, which makes it even worse. So he's looking at evidence in real time and immediately saying, oh, hey, this is a ghost, uh, when in reality it wasn't. Uh, a simple movement of a camera uh, without a IBIS on, uh, which is an in-body image stabilizer, uh, that's going to cause occasionally light streaks, especially if your uh, shutter is held open for longer than, you know, the quick moment that it would typically snap. Uh, the longer your shutter is open, the more likely you're going to get these streaks. You see this a lot in night photography. Uh, whenever you see stars in, in photography, you get the shutter wide open, uh, aperture wide open, whenever they're doing like a, uh, uh, you, you ever see the pictures of stars where they just like look like streaks in the sky, almost as if it, the earth is spinning or the sky spinning, same deal. Uh, and that's what this guy was doing. The problem with that is when they're constantly seeing these light streaks that are coming from light sources. You're not really getting down to the meat of the, the, the story here, because maybe in one of these light sources, there actually is something paranormal. But if they're all paranormal or you claim them to all be paranormal, well, we're not giving the most accurate evidence uh, and we're not really supporting that evidence because if all we're getting is pictures and no EVPs, or we're not getting any digital readings, well, all we have are photos that are that look messy, basically. And that's not enough to prove uh, a, a haunting. Right. Well, and he had also taken a picture of a mirror and then had convinced... I don't remember if he had brought it to the client or he gave it to us to provide for the client, but he had taken a picture of a mirror and said there was a portal there because there was like mm -hmm. kind of like sparkling around it and uh this this blue glow compared to the rest of the room and it's like dude you're it's your flash and then you manipulated right. that particular part of the picture to make it look like it was something that it possibly wasn't not saying it's not true but he had manipulated the picture so much that we you can't provide that as an ev evidence thing. Right. <clears throat> and that's something ah. you def definitely want to be aware of, too, is when you're using flash uh, in your photos. Uh, especially, I mean, if you're doing an investigation at night, you're going to use flash unless you're using an IR camera or a full-spectrum uh, camera, dig digital camera. Uh, otherwise, if you're using flash, you're always going to want to keep a lookout for those type of reflections. And these reflections could bounce off a number of different surfaces. They could be metallic surfaces. They could be glass surfaces. Uh, they could. It could even be water just sitting on the floor that you might not see with the naked eye, but it might be there. Uh, not to mention the number of illusions uh, that it can cause. You know, something like a little tiny, uh, like a like like a, a doorknob, maybe about, we'll just say 100 feet down the hall. You know, it might not seem like much when you're there, but if you snap a photo and it's that dark, that flash is going to glare off of that little knob 100 feet down. You might not see it, right, you know, with the naked eye, but later on you might say, oh, this is evidence when in reality it's just a reflection. Right. I think one of the other important things to me, you brought up doing it as a paranormal investigator and having a client, but say you decide to do an investigation of your own home, you're not a part of a team, you've never done this before, um, trying to debunk things, you're not you're going to scare yourself unless you're you're 
in the mindset of debunking rather than proving there's a, a ghost there. And right. uh, that's going to cause problems for yourself, your family, um, <clears throat> anybody living in the home uh, for two reasons. One, if there is something there, it's going to feed off of that and, and continue to start, uh, continue to scare people. Two, if you are constantly just thinking it, it's a ghost, you're going to become paranoid and you're going to start uh, creating these things in your mind and freaking out your family and, and it's just going to be a, a domino effect. So, and first and foremost, we kind of talked about this last week. If, you, if you're going to do a paranormal investigation, know how to protect yourself. Not, not last week, two weeks ago, sorry. Um, and, and don't open those doorways unless you know how to protect yourself. It's an opening that doorway can be just something as simple as hearing a creak and saying, who's there? You kind of open that doorway to the spirit to answer you. Um, but that that's something that kind of came to my mind when I was thinking about this is not even on the professional level, but on, on a private level, if you're trying to do something by yourself you can cause a lot of problems for yourself. And that, you know, you'd brought up the the client thing, and that's a mistake we made. We brought that up on Ghost Hunting 101, um, mm -hmm. presenting a piece of evidence. And we, we actually didn't debunk this until after, I think it was like a, a year later or something like that, or maybe right. it was six months later or something like that, um, that it was not a spirit of any kind, but rather a office plant that was in this area that we took the picture of and it was casting a weird shadow. So that, you know, of course at, at that point there was no embarrassment. We had given up the team, uh, but it was interesting afterwards because I, I think it was after you had access to better software, right? That you had done that. Right. Okay. So, um, Definitely make sure you're you're paying attention to that stuff. I I agree with Eric 100 percent that uh, you can get into a lot of trouble by not debunking, whether that's personal or professional level. Um, same thing with audio, though. Eric, you and I have gotten several what we thought were EVPs. We right. tried to debunk as as much as we possibly can, and in the end, we had to say that. We believe it's an EVP, but could we have debunked more? Uh, so what what are your thoughts on the audio part of it? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, f again, this is something that's maybe a little bit more difficult because your audio, unless you're listening to it, uh, listening to playback in real time, uh, meaning you do an EVP session 10 15, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever. Uh, and you go back and play it right after the session. You hear a voice. Well, now you have a chance to debunk it. Uh, because say there is a voice that you don't recognize, right? Uh, for this example, let's say it's you and me, Justin, and then we hear a woman's voice, but we don't have any women around us. And we don't have any on our team. The question is, was that actually an in disembodied voice or was that voice coming from another source? Now, the easiest way to debunk that, of course, is to check your surroundings, right? Both inside and outside. In many cases, you'll want to go around, make sure there's nobody in the house, especially if you're or in the 
whatever the building or property, uh, especially if it's abandoned, uh, you know, some of these places, they don't have uh, locks on doors. You can't just lock yourself in or you can't keep people out, especially if you're doing like a graveyard session or something like that, or a haunted wood session that like we've done in the past. Uh, you know, there's a lot of noise that can kind of interfere with the investigation and you want to make sure that there's no one around. And you do that, of course, by going around and saying, hello, is anyone here? Can you, you know, can you make yourself known? We're doing an investigation. We just want to blah, blah, blah. Uh, and hopefully if there is someone there, they speak up. Uh, and if not, you know, there's no one there. Well, now, cool, great. So maybe there's something there, right? Well, if you're indoors, you're also going to want to check your surroundings, but you also want to go outside because there are many cases in which somebody could be walking down the street, talking on their phone. Uh, you may not hear their voice right there during the, the, the session, uh, most likely because we're focused on what's happening in the immediate, in our immediate presence, right? Uh, and when that happens, especially when you're in the dark, uh, if you're doing this at night, you kind of shut yourself off to the outside world that is anything outside of the location that you're that you're investigating, and you try to focus on those little tiny noises that are coming from within the building or wherever you're at. So sometimes you get that noise bleed, and then and that's the case, you want to quickly look outside, see if there's anyone walking down the street, see how busy the street is. Uh, maybe there's a bar, you know, a couple blocks down, even that much distance, just a little bit of noise can interfere. Uh, and EVPs you know, digital voice recorders pick up a lot of information. Uh, these could be easily like any sound coming from anywhere, a car driving down the road, a couple streets over, it could pick that up. Uh, and we may not notice it ourselves, but for, you know, it's just like an EVP. We don't hear a disembodied voice typically, and yet this digital recorder does. Uh, and that's why we use them. They're picking up noises we don't normally hear. So, you know, you, you want to check that kind of stuff because you can very easily... Uh, share again that evidence with somebody uh, which can be inaccurate. Uh, now, maybe we won't know that it's inaccurate, but if it is and you present it to the client, they may want to move forward into either a cleansing or you know further investigations, things like that. And if they're dealing with people uh, who are paying or who they're paying, uh, especially if we're talking about a cleansing, you know, Many of these people who come in to do cleansings, they want to be paid for it. They've got, uh, you know, sage and various crystals, things like that, that they want materials that cost money. And so they're going to want payment. And if you're giving them inaccurate information and they're going and paying for a cleansing that they don't actually need, well, that's just bad business on the investigator's part. Because as an investigator, at least in my opinion, you want to you're there to help the client, you know, give them the most information that you can. And if necessary, help them rid uh, the, the, the location of whatever the presence is, whatever the haunting is, if there is one, uh, or, or be able to assure them that there is nothing there. Because uh, a lot of this stuff, even in the paranormal, could just be mental. Uh, I'm not saying that the person's crazy or anything like that, but when you're reading books or hearing stories or you're just thinking a lot, you know, a lot of people overthink and they get scared of this kind of stuff. They might start to witness noises or see shadows that just really aren't there. It's the mind simply playing, playing tricks on, on the person. Right. Yeah. So something that you used to do 
when we were active in the paranormal investigation scene was if you would hear something with your ear, you would announce aloud that is such and such in the back background. Right. Um, and I, I think that's an important thing to have in the back of your mind as you're doing a paranormal investigation. If you physically hear something and you know what it is, then make that time mark in your recording. Say, that's the the storm outside blowing major wind, or something to that effect, something short. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Eric would say that's team talking outside the window or something like that. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that was actually a really helpful tool when it came to reviewing the audio at the end of the day, because then you don't have to debunk it. You know exactly what it is. Right. And that's, that's especially important. Uh, when you're doing your reviews later, the following day or a couple right. of days later, uh, because most, you know, I think too many people think that they're going to remember the, the night, you know, they're going to remember what they were listening to or what they heard. Uh, and that's very rarely the case. Uh, I mean, some people, maybe they can, uh, but it's better just to save yourself the trouble and create those little flags or those marks in the EVP sessions uh, when you're doing that. And you can even do that with phot photography as well, uh, or videos. Like if you're doing video and you see something, but you realize it's debunked, mention that it's debunked. Show us that it's debunked so that whoever's reviewing the evidence knows, oh, hey, I don't need to bring this up to the, to the team because it's already been debunked and they marked it. Uh, same with photographs. You know, most uh, digital cameras, they have a little button that it's like a check mark or a star, something like that. You can basically flag. It's used to flag photos and videos that you want to keep, the ones that are most important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I even have that on the iPhone uh, under this this uh, app called Filmic Pro, uh, and it's basically a film. It's a filmmaking app, and every time I do a video, I can go back look at the clip, and if it's a clip that I like uh, and I want to circle that take, I just hit the little star, so that later on when I'm dropping it into my edit bin. Well, all my stars are the takes I'm going to use. I don't need to go through five hours of takes just for the three that I need because the three are already marked and you're good to go. And that'll help you a lot in evidence review as well. Save yourself the time. And, you know, I think it's just that simple. Save yourself the time. Right. Well, so here's a question for you for for video. Uh, mm -hmm. Say say you're doing a recording of your session as a paranormal investigator. Investigator, um, you're you're doing basically you're, you're doing it in real time. You're looking through a lens as you're doing this, um, or a, a view view screen, and you notice something that happens. Let's say a shadow goes by. Um, and then you you reenact it, but later on you go through the video and you're like, I'm not really sure that that's the case. Um, after the fact, I mean, is there really any other debunking you can do once once you're out of that uh, venue uh, if you're not with the client anymore? 
Uh, I mean, after no, the the easiest way to do it, and really the only way, would be to go back to location and see if you can debunk it. Uh, so if you know what hall that was that you got that video on, you're going to want to go back to that video, have the setup about the same as you had it that night, preferably around the same time as you caught the footage as well. Uh, basically, you just want to recreate that particular scene as best you can and then go about trying to debunk it that way. Um, you know, but if, again, if it's one of those things you try to debunk it right there and then, and you can't, it's most likely you're not going to question yourself later. That's the point of debunking it in during the time, like during the investigation right there, uh, because you just can't really debunk it easily. Otherwise you don't have the means to, because put it this way, say, Look at the moon, right? So the way the moon moves, the way our Earth, the moon doesn't quite, but the way the moon circles around the Earth, right? The way, uh, if you like look out there tonight, it's in one place, but tomorrow it may be a few meters in the opposite direction to the naked eye. So it's further left or further right or higher or lower. Uh, maybe there's a waxing or there's um, a waning to it. You know, there's these different elements that can change lighting. And that lighting can have an effect on your footage, both in photography and video. So if we're sitting in my office here, uh, I've got a window right to the left of, my, of me. Uh, currently, there's it's like overcast sky, so it's very soft light punching in, but it's punching in on my left side. And the shadows are just slightly to my to my right, just slightly to my right. Uh, it's probably like if you're looking at a uh, at a, uh, what do you call it? Oh, a compass. The shadows that I'm looking at right now are probably northeast, or I'm sorry, north. No, yeah, that's right, northeast as opposed to directly east. So there's like this slight little directional uh, to the right. It's hard to explain, but you know what? I think you know what I'm saying. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's one thing you want to consider because if my shadow is kind of pointing northeast when the light's hitting me, well, I'm going to want to make sure that shadow is still like that a few nights from now. The problem is it probably won't be because the movement of the moon is going to change the direction of the shadows, uh, which is why you want to be as close as possible to the original setup that you had. The other thing that you want to consider, though, and this is why it's difficult, is because you might see a shadow which was created by a light source moving past you, uh, that can't be recreated necessarily, like a vehicle, right? So you can always get have someone get in a car and drive past the street, uh, past that particular side of the building to see if it'll cast a shadow. Uh, but if you don't think of that first and foremost, it's going to be hard to debunk because, again, the elements may have changed slightly. You know, if you have an overcast sky, you have an open sky, you have uh, certain buildings that have lights on the night of the investigation, but they're not on the night you go back to debunk it. You know, it's all going to affect evidence in some way or somehow. Now, I'm not saying you can't still figure it out, but it's going to make things a little bit more difficult. So when you're doing, because something that you've done in the past with, with pictures is messing with the uh, the the different colors and trying mm -hmm. to uh, change it to where you can see shading or anything like that where it would say yes it's a physical presence or no it's not 
can you do that with video where you can manipulate the the coloring or I shouldn't say manipulate, adjust the coloring to uh, show you something that may or may not be there? Yeah, uh, you can. It's not always as straightforward as it is in photography, especially depending on what you're using. Uh, if you're using something like iPhoto, it's very simple. You can just go in, you can click whatever colors you want, drop them, you know, go to shadows, heighten shadows, things like that. Uh, when you're doing a f editing like video or going through video, you actually have to, at least in most cases, dump it into a edit software, some sort of editing software, video editing software. Uh, that could be something as simple as iMovie or something as intricate as Adobe Premiere. Uh, it could be Final Cut and DaVinci Resolve, anything like that. Uh, and then you have to go into your color settings. Uh, this is basically the coloring mode. So when you're filming or when you're editing a movie, uh, you're basically editing first, uh, lining up your track, getting it all cut. And then after editing, you go into coloring and coloring. It's all kinds of crazy things that you can do with coloring to manipulate it. Uh, some of it is just simply moving graphs around. You've got your RGB uh, color mm. index. So you can move your right. greens or reds and your blues, however you need to, to create new colors or diminish colors. Uh, but then you have various different LUTs that you could put on. Uh, the LUTs are something that can create like a black and white LUT or something that gives you more of a cinematic look, something that's more uh, apocryphal as well, uh, you know, like a little more red tinge. Uh, there's all kinds of different things you could do. Uh, in my personal uh, suggestion is if you're using video, you kind of want to mess with your shadows and lighting first uh, before you deal with color because the color, all you're really doing is changing the color of the image. So your reds, you can make green or, you know, you can go bright green, you can go down to the blues, make it warm, make it cold. When you're dealing with lighting, you're basically lighting the image, making it brighter, or you're darkening the image. And you can actually decide which part of the footage you want lighter or darker by masking the particular area out, right? So say I have a shadow in the top right corner of my frame, and that's what I want to see. And I hit the lighting, and I'd light it all the way up when I have the whole screen lights up. It may look the same as it did when the screen was regular. And if I darken the whole screen, well, now I can't see the shadows at all. So what I might want to do is mask out that little shadow in the top right frame and just brighten the shadow itself or brighten the rest of the frame and leave that shadow as is. And that'll help to create this kind of a uh, contrast between the shadow and the rest of uh, the image. Now, I've done that a couple of times. We had a, uh, with footage, actually, I do something very similar or I'm sorry, with a photograph, uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, we had gotten a, a photo about what someone thought was possibly an alien uh, in their home. Uh, this is like a alien-like figure standing in the kitchen near a uh, refrigerator. And I basically just lit it up. I made it brighter because it was kind of like a warm incandescent lighting that they had on. It was like a living room light like lamp that was on and I couldn't really see much in the, in the kitchen. There was a small image. It was kind of gray, looked like a shape, but wasn't enough. Uh, so I ended up lighting it up first, brightening the image and then darkening the shadows to get a better contrast between what the, uh, the image was they were seeing and the rest of the room to help 
basically to help define your image uh, that you're trying to trying to understand. Uh, so th th there's a lot of different ways you could go about it. And some of it's very intricate, especially when you get into video, um, but it's not hard to learn. You know, in that case, when there's something as simple as this, uh, you could do small tutorials online, just learning how to do that, or just jump into coloring and just play around. You could just click all kinds of buttons till you get a better idea of what it is you're seeing and can make a, uh, a, a better judgment and a confident judgment uh, on it for sure. Okay. All right. Well, there is one more part of this that I want to touch base on, and that's uh, EMF, but we'll take a quick break. Folks, you'll be listening to a quick commercial, and we will be right back right after this. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. spirits everywhere, watching, waiting, seeking that opportune time to reveal themselves like no other. They fill our worlds with so much. Seriously? You didn't just do that. You farted on the promo? What's wrong with you? I thought you were professional. G go away. Go I, I got it. I got it. Hey everybody, it's Brian Bowden, host of Nobo Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. We have an amazing show that covers the paranormal, conspiracies, music, art, entertainment, trending topics, and so much more. Please join us by subscribing to the show on Podbean at InsideTheGoblinUniverse.Podbean.com, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere you find podcasts. It's an informative, fun, and overall entertaining good time, and uh, we'll keep the gas to ourselves. Why don't you burp next time? Someone give me Brian Anderson. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we are discussing uh, why it's important to debunk paranormal activity and how to go about debunking that evidence. Uh, so before break, you did say you wanted to go to another part, which is, of course, EMF, a very important mm -hmm. tool for those of us who are investigating. It's probably our primary tool at that. Uh, usually you want to go in and get a base reading of your location uh, before you even start to do the actual in investigation. So I'm going to go ahead and give it over to you. Uh, just take it away. 
Well, the biggest part of this is uh, why debunk? Because high EMF can cause a haunting type effect on people's minds. And uh, to me, I think that's the most important part. But getting that baseline really is going to tell you if you have a spike that is outside that baseline and outside areas such as uh, plugs, um, electronics, anything that would be giving off some type of electronic or electrical field, uh, then you have a, a little more evidence to say that, yes, this was not something outside of physical uh, uh, things that were causing it. So I, I think that's one of the biggest things for me is doing the EMF. Uh, it's not necessarily evidence by itself per se. Uh, you usually have to correlate evidence to do all this. But debunking whether you have really high EMF in in a house is super important because it can cause physical effects. And I think that's why um, a lot of people think they have hauntings and then you, you finally do come to the conclusion that there is just a crazy amount of EMF causing people to have delusions. Now, granted, it has to be a very, very high amount or uh, prolonged exposure in order for this to be happening. But I think that that's why it's important to to be debunking EMF. Um, I, I kind of talked about how you can, but Eric, I wanted you to talk about the the tools you can use to debunk EMF. Sure. Um, well, I think the first, of course, is your actual EMF detector. Uh, for as simplistic as that sounds, I mean, obviously the EMF detector is going to be the thing that tells you the readings are high, but you can still use that tool to debunk whether or not it's legitimate. Uh, the main thing is to use it to find or try to find the source of that EMF. Uh, you would take it over to the walls first and foremost, of course, uh, especially near light sockets, uh, light switches, actual lights like the light bulbs, the, the lamps, the ceiling fan, things like that. You want to anywhere where, the, where there's a current basically that's uh, going to be drawn from. Uh, you, you could take your meter tube, and if there is actually an EMF that's present, uh, that's not paranormal, but is actually due to poor wiring or something like that, the closer you get to these items, the higher that EMF is going to spike. Uh, and that's a very good, easy indication that, yeah, there's some faulty wiring in this house and it's giving off bad EMF, done and done, most likely. Uh, obviously, there's occasions where wire, faulty wiring is a problem and you're getting high EMF readings, and yet you might go into another room, get a high EMF reading, and that EMF reading might actually be due to spiritual, uh, a spiritual encounter of some sort, right? That's uh, some sort of ghost. Uh, one thing I do want to mention about that, though, is that high EMF is an energy source, an energy source that can fuel paranormal activity. So there's a good chance that if you do have high EMF in your house, you might also be, you might also have a haunting. 
there's that possibility. You know, spirits can feed off of that type of energy uh, and create almost poltergeist-like activity, things like that, because it's a constant source of fuel, basically. Right. Uh, another, another way to test EMF, of course, is through a uh, uh, through probes, right? Uh, and this could be an electronic probe. This could be uh, an EMF probe. These the different types of probes that you can use. Some of them are digital, where you can just take two, it's basically two metal uh, little tiny needles uh, that you can actually place near the socket to test the frequency that's coming off of uh, off of like a, a socket, right? Um, that'll help determine again whether or not there's high EMF there and what type of EMF or how high that EMF actually is uh, in frequencies or decibels. You know, it, it's a number of, it's weird. It's whatever's easiest for you to read. Um, there's even meters where they're not even digital. They're just analog, which I don't mm. like personally. I don't read them very well. I hate in most <laughs> cases analog, <laughs> unless it's an analog watch. That's a little different, but uh you know, th those are really your two main sources when it comes to testing EMF. Uh, you can also use, of course, which it's, <laughs> there's a lot of people who actually uh, argue for this particular device, but I think there's a lot more that argue against it. And I think I'm on the against it side. And that is using your phone because there are apps that claim that your phone can read EMF due to the sensor within the phone. Um, yeah, it just doesn't really make sense, um, mainly because your phone actually gives off a source of EMF as well, uh, since it's an electronic. Uh, so I don't understand how that fully works. And I know what you guys are thinking, oh, hey, but you know, your EMF detector is electronic as well. True, uh, but phones tend to give off a higher reading because of the amount of technology within them, where an EMF detector, uh, for example, is just very minimal uh, for the most part, depending on what you're using. Not to mention right. that EMF detectors tend to be uh, insulated as well. So that's going to help determine an outside source of EMF compared to the, the, the meter you're using. And also the other thing is phones aren't EMF detectors. That's not what they're built for. Uh, so in order to download an app and get the EMF detector to work, it would have to actually reconfigure the mechanics of your phone or the, the, uh, the computer chip within the phone. The phone's not designed for that. And an app isn't going to configure your phone. That would have to be something that's updated through your cellular, cellular company. Uh, most likely whoever the maker is. So I have an iPhone. It would have to be Apple that would create an upgrade uh, that would basically allow me to use it as an EMF detector. Uh, cameras get that a lot now too. A lot of digital cameras are updated by the manufacturer. Um, Blackmagic, Sony, Panasonic, they have software within them that are uh, usually upgraded either by connection to a computer or by Wi-Fi, which is becoming more and more normal. So there are in, on occasion things that your camera might not be able to do in the beginning when you first buy it. Uh, and a year or two down the road, you might have two or three more new things that your camera is suddenly capable of doing because of these upgrades uh, that, that are being installed on your, on your camera. But unfortunately we don't just 
we don't see that kind of stuff for phones unless there's some type of company out there that's like, hey, we want to make this uh, ghost hunter friendly. Ghost hunting isn't a very big market. So I wouldn't yeah. hold your breath for something like that. But if it ever were big enough of a market, I wouldn't doubt that some company, Microsoft or whoever, would be like, hey, let's add this for all the ghost investigators and around the world. You know, they can make money off of it, especially. Right. Well, and most of these apps are free too. Right. And, and I mean, I think just, you know, you can always download those apps and just test it yourself. Um, that's something you'd want to test. You know, I've done it. And the problem is that it's very inconsistent with its readings, meaning I can be at a base zero or 0 0.1, uh, take it to a light switch and get a 0 0.3, 0 0.4, take it away from the light switch. Maybe it reads 0, 0.0 again, uh, and then put it back and maybe it's 0 0.0. One zero, you know, it, however, you know, it, it's, it's very inconsistent, you know, no matter where you move it, it might be in one source. Like if I'm holding it in my right hand, it might be 0 0.20, move it in my left hand, it's 0 0.0, move it back to my right hand, it's 0 0.0, back to the left, oh, now it's 0 0.30 over there. And it's just, it's very inconsistent. And you can easily test that into bucket yourself. And really, it just comes down to the user. Again, you know, if it's something you want to trust, by all means, you know, that's, a, that's on you, but know that there is a very low possibility uh, that a phone is going to actually be able to read an EMF for you. Right. Well, and I think for the most part, I, I, when we had our K2s, um, it always had a base of one green light, I believe, which was zero or 0 0.1. <laughs> or right. something like that so in a sense it really is showing its own emf just by not showing a spike at all just being at that base level um, right where a phone i agree with you 100 percent that most investigation teams will not allow people uh their their members to even have their phones on them not only is it a source of emf but it's also a distraction and you do not want your members distracted when you're walking through the dark. Um, because when you're a ghost hunter, you, you have to hunt in the dark. It's just one of those things. Um, and that's something we've talked about a hundred times over too. You don't have to, to hunt in the dark. There are speculations that um, nighttime ghosts are stronger because of, the energy of the moon or whatever it is. Um, sure, that's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, but you can do a paranormal investigation during the day, of course. Um, and something that... Uh, it, like, even using it your phone as a voice recorder, you can end up picking up a conversation from other phones just because of the way that phones work. Um, a lot of times, even with regular recorders, you can pick up radio signals as well. Right. Um, um, another thing, though, I, I wanted to let you keep talking. I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, but when you, the, the one main reason 
that investigators tend to investigate at night uh, is to open up their own senses. Because when you're in the dark, you lose eyesight, which opens your ears uh, to, uh, to the sounds that we normally wouldn't see if we can actually see or wouldn't hear that if we could actually see. So that's the main reason that we're doing this stuff at night. Uh, you become more in tune to your environment and allows you to be a little more sensitive uh, to what's happening around you. The other, of course, is when the lights are on, well, that could potentially create more EMF uh, because there's constant electricity being pumped through uh, the electronics all around you. So you turn all that off so that you can get as close to a low base rating as you can with EMF. Uh, you don't have to worry about that or any type of static noise that you might hear or catch in the e e uh, EVPs or something like that. That That's a good point too. Um, so any other... Um, Thoughts on on debunking as far as the the three that we talked about, or is there something that I missed that you can think of that we we can touch base on? Um, I I mean I don't think there's really much that anything that we missed. I think those are the three basic important things, the most important things we need to focus on, you know, is of course, uh, your shadow slash lighting, your uh, EVPs and your EMF. Uh, one thing I do want to suggest is when you are actually uh, trying to debunk something or you're looking through video evidence or whatever, uh, if you catch shadows, again, when it comes to your light sources, always remember what's behind the camera that the light source uh, is being picked up on or the shadows being picked up on. So if your IR camera that's sitting by itself uh, is, you know, cre creating a shadow, you're seeing a shadow, note what's behind that camera at the time of the video that, that or the footage that you're seeing or the picture. Uh, because if you're standing behind that camera and you have a light behind it, a flashlight, or even just uh, an IR, a small, smaller IR uh, camera, that IR light can create a shadow. It's a very dull shadow, but it's strong enough to create plenty of big shadow that can be picked up on video uh, or photograph. So always mind where you are and always mind where your equipment is. Uh, knowing those two things at all times is really gonna help you to uh, debunk any and all situations that you'll come across and will ultimately give you the best evidence uh, for your investigation as well. Or I should say the most accurate evidence. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's a good place to kind of wrap it up is just be aware of your surroundings, period. Um, right. when, especially when you want to debunk something, because if you see something in a, a flash of time where like a shadow darts across the room or something, um, you're not going to know how to debunk it unless you noticed certain intricate parts of, of how that happened. So definitely make sure you are debunking. I think that's the main takeaway from this episode. And if you are doing a paranormal investigation for yourself, um, just kind of learn some of the, the ins and outs of doing the specific stuff like, um, download audacity and there are ways to work with that software to uh enhance the the audio 
of an EVP or get a free editing software, uh, a picture editing software that you can manipulate things in a way that um, will let you know for sure if there was something there or not. Um, video software, uh, Eric had mentioned a couple of, of ways you can do it. Uh, of course, the the more advanced you go, the, if you're getting something free compared to something paid, you're obviously going to have better features on those different softwares. But um, I think that's about it. Um, Eric had mentioned, you know, we did miss last week. We were supposed to be talking to get uh, Ken Gearhart. We will get him rescheduled and uh, get him on to talk about his book about uh, sea creatures. I'm... It's something that Eric and I have talked about a lot, and um, I, I think cryptids by far is our favorite topic. But make sure you're staying, uh, staying tuned to all the shows on New Lantern Media. Um, we have Paratooth Radio, which is our flagship show, Beyond Reason, uh, Let's Talk About It, Paranormal Heart, and The Truth Fox, and... Um, I believe let's talk about it goes live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook. So if you can check out the live because they do interact with their listeners and uh, it's very cool. If you don't, you can always catch the the podcast and recording on YouTube and anywhere you can find our podcasts. So. I think that's about it, unless there's anything else, Eric. No, I think that just about covers it. Of course, if you guys have any questions about this, comments, concerns, or whatever, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to answer your questions or just hear what you have to say about it. Uh, if you think we're wrong about something or think we're right on point, we'd love to know that. Uh, any feedback is, of course, positive feedback, even when it's negative feedback. But hey, <laughs> sometimes you got to take the hits. Uh, so yeah, right. just Feel free to reach out. We're always open to that kind of stuff, and we're always quick to respond. And, of course, if you love our show or any of the shows that are on the network, please make sure you're sharing them, uh, liking them, subscribing where you sub you can subscribe. Uh, it does really help get exposure for us. Uh, introduce it to your family members uh, or friends. And I would love to uh, interact with anybody who listens to our show. Um, but until next week where you'll find us same time, same channel, barring no sickness or weird reactions to shots. My name is Justin and I'm Eric. Peace.
In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.